a lot of things have been written. It's very, very hard to find a nugget that's never been said before. Mm. But what we can do is we can retell the story. And I think that's what primarily we do through thought leadership is finding a different angle on a story that's already been told or finding a way to make it resonate with our, a, a key or specific target segment. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Matthew Leopold, who is head of brand and comms at LexisNexis. Matthew, welcome. Hi, thank you. Now, I will do you a disservice if I try and tell your story of your career, um, but just in 20 to 30 seconds, could you just give a brief overview of who you are and some of the sort of important parts about your background? Sure. Well, allow me to do a disservice by introducing myself then. Uh, <laughs> so I specialise in obviously branding communications. Yep. And what I am particularly fascinated in is how to reposition brands that are either hard to understand or somewhat out of date or selling products that customers perceive as a, as a human right to some extent yep. and trying to get them to reevaluate those brands. So I started my career working at British Gas where I looked after brand and sponsorship and CSR activities at British Gas. Mm. I then moved into the aviation industry, so selling really big contracts to really big airlines and flying around the world, which is always great fun. Uh, from there, I then went to work for a, a big US tech company, selling uh, a product that was absolutely brilliant, but against the likes of Microsoft and Google and Cisco, but it was a brand that no one had really ever heard of. So a really interesting brand challenge. Mm. And then here I am now at LexisNexis, one of the world's largest and most important legal intelligence companies, providing the legal intelligence to lawyers. And most people in the legal world have heard of LexisNexis, but actually much like Hoover, for example, we are known so well for just one of our key mm -hmm. products. But actually, that's just the tip of our iceberg. So the big challenge for me is to use that brilliant brand trust, uh, the empathy that people have for the LexisNexis brand, and get them to see the huge range of other products and services that we can offer and, and make their lives easier and better. Excellent. Well, I, I was wondering where you were going when you sort of initially talked about those brands that are difficult to understand. And I said, like, oh, Christ, we're going to have all these esoteric brands. But I think they might be some of them esoteric, but I think the passion that you actually just managed to conjure up for those brands is, is absolutely fantastic. So today we are going to be talking around um, thought leadership and true sort of B2B marketing, the provocative truth style. We're going to start off with a provocative truth. And the provocative truth that I want to get your response to is... Thought leadership has now been with us probably for the best part of a decade, probably reached its sort of um, absolute pinnacle maybe in that sort of 2017, 2018 period. But my feeling is now that its role has been misunderstood and actually it's almost been reduced to a content format rather than a strategic marketing activity. Is that something you'd agree with? So to some extent, yes, I would agree. Mm. Has it now seen its day? No. I really don't think so. The whole point of thought leadership is you're leading with insight. You're trying to turn over every rock possible to find that little gem of insight that suddenly can unlock a real live customer problem. So thought leadership itself is absolutely not dead. However, have the big machinations of uh, corporate marketing mm. taken 
thought leadership and turned it into that square box called content marketing. Yes, I, I think that is absolutely true. And I think the challenge is then on, on people like me that lead those content marketing functions mm. to understand that content is way more than just thought leadership, but actually thought leadership is a critical part of your content marketing strategy. So taking into account everything from, from blogs, PR, social media, thought leadership transcends the lot. And it's very easy to forget that and focus on the wrong part of that, that jigsaw. Absolutely. I think it's really important to sort of move away from thinking around sort of formats ultimately, isn't it, in terms of when we're thinking about thought leadership. Now, before I think we probably get into some of the more um, tense conversations around thought leadership, I think what would be useful is to just frame the, the, the conversation. So from your perspective, what, how would you define thought leadership? And I think also, how would you define it in contrast to other content marketing activities as you referred to? So in my mind, what I, what I want to achieve from thought leadership, which is probably an easier way of thinking about mm -hmm. it, is I want my customer, I want the lawyer to be lying in bed at night, sweating, <laughs> restless, unable to sleep because of my thought leadership. I want my thought leadership to have just hit that nerve, that problem, that worry, that niggle in their mind that it just resonates with them. They go, yes, th this is my problem. This is something I need mm. to be aware of. This is something I haven't adequately considered. So that's what I want thought leadership to achieve. Now, how I deliver that through the channels, that, that's perhaps less, of, less interesting. I can write blogs about it. I can write, as we are now, we're, we're using shorthand, one of those great interactive tools that, that, that a lot of the journalist organizations mm. use. We can use social media. We can use podcasts. There are lots of different channels to get that thought leadership out there. But ultimately, if you haven't done your research and you don't understand your market and you don't understand what the problem points are, and I think one of the joys as being a marketeer in a highly regulated industry, the legal industry, you basically don't always have to be, but generally have to be a solicitor to function. And the advantage I can bring is I am not a solicitor. I have not studied law. I can see a market from a different angle that perhaps the lawyers can't. Now, that, of course, makes it very difficult because mm. it means that I also don't understand the problems that they're facing. But it allows me to ask some really interesting, sometimes quite obvious questions to find that piece of thought leadership, that piece of insight that really nuggets into the brain and causes them sleepless, sleepless and causes them sleepless <laughs> nights. Excellent. Well, perhaps we should rebrand thought leadership to sleep deprivation content. Maybe that's actually what we should be <laughs> aspiring to achieve. Now, you talked there about the fact that you're not a lawyer and yet you are trying to create um, LexisNexis as a thought leader within the legal, um, the legal sector. Now, given to lead that conversation, you've got to be saying things which are new, important, relevant and pertinent to people who are experts within their field. How do you as a marketer bridge that gap? How do you uncover those biggest problems and uncover those real gems that you refer to from an insight perspective to fuel the thought leadership? It's not easy. And I think lesson number one is I don't really do it. I need to find the people that can. Mm -hmm. I need to speak to lawyers. I need to speak to solicitors. I need to speak to people who actually understand it to get the nuggets from them. And I think the, the key value that, that I, and, and to be honest, it's, it's my team really, rather than me, do is we hear all of these firsthand struggles 
and then we try and turn them into something that that is marketable. Mm -hmm. And I've seen, you know, certainly before I joined the business, we created some thought leadership that was written by the technical experts. And technical expertise and technical thought leadership is really valuable. It can help unpick problems that, that customers and clients are experiencing. However, it's not often good marketing. It's written in a format that does not encourage the customer to find out more mm -hmm. or to work out what that call to action is or to investigate and have further conversations with salespeople. Instead, it provides them the answer to the problem. Yep. And what marketeers can then do is take this technical content and then create some marketable material from it that can resonate, can create those burning truths, can let people reevaluate and ask, but why, but why, but why? And then hopefully drive them to have a, a conversation with us and to enter into our sales funnel. And do you think just, um, because I, I think it's interesting that we can, we can go through a process of understanding where those biggest problems are. And as you said, the technical content might just simply answer that, uh, that problem, but you're almost saying that we need to go that step further. Now, do you think that it's incumbent on people if they're producing thought leadership to be saying something new, to be saying something contrarian potentially to what else is out there? Because almost by definition, to be a thought leader, you can't be saying the same as everybody else. In an ideal world, probably yes. yes. I think to be pragmatic, however, that's not always possible. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm sure you know full well, actually, telling a story in a slightly different way mm. or telling a story that makes it really specific and relevant to a specific part of a market, that is turning over new ground. That mm. is cutting through. Ultimately, is there ever a new thought? Well, I'm sure we, we can dive into all sorts of psychological research to determine if, if, if there is or there isn't. But actually, a lot of things have been written. It's very, very hard to find a nugget that's never been said before. Mm. But what we can do is we can retell the story. And I think that's what primarily we do through thought leadership is finding a different angle on a story that's already been told or finding a way to make it resonate with our, a, a key or specific target segment. And if we're to think about um, thought leadership, and I think the almost the, the premise of the provocative truth I gave at the beginning is that people think of it, this is almost a, a an end output or product of, of, of mar a wider sort of marketing campaign, and it's as a format. How do you use thought leadership as part of your marketing mix, ultimately? What is the role that it plays? Is it just to generate some peak interest and generate some awareness, or does it have a, a role throughout the sort of the marketing funnel as well? I think my understanding and my use of thought leadership has developed over time. As mm. I've done it, I've then realized I've missed opportunities. Mm. So the next time I do it, I capitalize on those. And certainly earlier on in my career, I think I would have done a piece of thought leadership. I would sit back feeling very smug that I delivered a beautiful piece of work that was really interesting and I got it out to market. Mm. I'd done some PR, I'd driven people to come and read it, job done. And certainly now I'm, I'm further on in my career and, and now I've got you know, a, a very hungry sales team behind me, that thinking has evolved. So what we do now, and I, I, I'm really proud of the work that, that the business and my team have done to try and change that is we have tried very hard and we are by no means all the way there yet to use thought leadership as a proper sales generational tool. When you're speaking to a lawyer, for example, a lawyer's charged per six minutes. Mm. So when you pick up the phone, you try and call a lawyer, 
are they really going to find the time to have a chat with you about a new piece of software or a new piece of technology mm-hmm. that you're wanting to try and sell them? Sales conversations are really difficult for those people. And I, I know it's not just lawyers for whom that's a challenge. But when we're able to pick up the phone, we're able to advise and guide and suggest, oh, did you know this? Did you know that you know, this percentage of, of people like you did this? Uh, it suddenly means we're able to educate um, rather than sell. And when we can educate, when we can inspire, when we can talk about the marketplace, we demonstrate that we are we are knowledge leaders. We understand our marketplace mm. and we're adding value to our customers and our clients. And when you're able to have that conversation, when we're able to build that rapport, then we can start layering in our products and our services as to how we can fix that problem that hopefully we've just made them lie awake all night in a pool of sweat worrying about. We can then reveal we've, we've got a solution to that. So what we've tried to do, as I say, by no means um, finished, is taking all of our marketing channels and trying to utilize thought leadership through all of them. So making sure that our sales teams get properly briefed and are given scripts, are given um, insights, are given uh, workshops so that they can play around with the content Mm. of our thought leadership so they feel really comfortable talking and consulting with our, our clients and our prospects. And I think this is, this is really good. It allows, it empowers our salespeople to feel like they really are adding value and they understand the market, but it allows thought leadership to go from being that awareness builder, from that, that, that brand proposition, which of course is, is how it mm-hmm, all started mm-hmm. out, into something that actually drives uh, revenue and, and potentially profit into the business. And that's really exciting, and, that, and that's why we're continuing to invest in, in creating thought leadership mm. stories. So it's more almost like a program of intelligence that you're sort of trying to run, and that intelligence fuels marketing content, but it fuels equally and fuels sales conversations as well. Now, is there, because we, we talk around sort of thought le- leadership, and we talk about, a, you know, a brand, which is, you know, an, an anonymous sort of corporation being a thought leader, but... Is there any sort of work on how you can build individuals up to be thought leaders and what role do individuals play in helping a brand become a thought leader? I think we're quite fortunate in my business. We we sell legal intelligence and someone has to write that legal intelligence and that's legal intelligent people that Mm. are within our business. So I'm really fortunate that we have got 300 odd solicitors working for our business writing thought leadership, writing legal, technical mm. thought leadership. Yep. So I've got people that I can use, that I can ask questions of, I can then quote, I can include in my thought leadership. And I'll be honest, I think this is probably the, the next ground for us is to start to include those people even more in our thought leadership, to really add gravitas and to reference and show the the, 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 the value and the trust people can have in us as a brand is because of the quality of the people that mm. write our materials. So I think that's that's a really big part um, for our thought leadership going forward. However, what we also do is we, we try and get some of those thought leaders and some of our, our sales consultants to write or to edit blogs, for example, that take a topic, that take a piece of thought leadership and try and twist it to make it relevant and interesting to them and the people that they would speak to and their audience. And as I say, well, I think we're in our infancy of, of getting that out there. But it is important. Thought leadership is really impactful when you've got names against it. Mm. No, absolutely. And I think that you know, what you've talked about there in terms of promoting the, some of the, the initial contributors is really, really important. But 
when it comes to, say, for instance, the salespeople who are going to be the external face, if you like, of LexisNexis, but they might not be the content creators in the in the first place. And you talked around the sort of the training and you give them the, the toolkit, but is there, you know, anything that you also look to do to help to amplify and promote their particular profiles, given they are the external facing part of the business? So, yes, but as I say, we're, we're, we are at early stages, I think, and mm. I think there's, there's a lot more we can do to build those profiles out. Mm. And ultimately, so I think social media is a, a really key tool for that. And we've spent a lot of time over the last two years getting everyone in our business to invest in their LinkedIn profiles mm -hmm. in particular to drive and share insightful material with their networks, mm. to build and nourish their networks so that they are seen as experts and thought leaders in their networks um, and trying to provide social media assets that they can edit and make relevant to mm. them. So we've started that ball rolling and I think it's, it's certainly already paying off, but it takes a lot of time and effort. And I go through swings and roundabouts with my social media. There'll be months when I invest in it every single day. I'm posting thought leadership every single day. I'm posting insights and really trying to enrich my mm. network. And then I'll go, oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and then I'll have a few months of absolute negligence. And it's really interesting seeing how my followers change, the number of people who view my profile change, mm. the interactions, the SSI score I get from LinkedIn, how that fluctuates up and down, depending on how much effort I invest. And being that I'm not a customer-facing asset to the yeah. business, knowing what my results are tells me that actually if our salespeople, if our um, legal intelligence people can do this too, it really will make a difference to, to the business as a whole. Absolutely. Now, I was going about to take a conversation in, in another direction, which I'm still going to do in a minute, but just I think quickly, you talk there around sort of the results and the, the measurements that you see on a personal level when you increase your activity or decrease your activity within LinkedIn. When you are judging the success and effectiveness of thought leadership, what are the different measures that you put in place? And also particularly, how do you assess your level of thought leadership compared to the competition? Because again, you know, the word leader means that it's a relative sort of positioning there. What, what factors do you take into account? So I'm, I'm rather negligently going to admit that we don't really look at the competition. Okay. Um, to some extent, we, we look rather uh, at a silo as the business. We, we are, that there is one other large competitor in our market space. And we really on, on principle do not pay attention to our competitor or what they're doing in the market so that there can be no accusations that we are trying to one-up them or, or, or mm -hmm. trying to look over our shoulder or look ahead or however mm -hmm. however you want to frame it. So I don't actually look at the materials generated by our biggest um, competitor. However, what I do look at is the insight generated by uh, legal magazines, by uh, legal websites, legal blogs, and I try very hard to set a benchmark. There, there are a couple of publications that I think are really, really good. Mm -hmm. They use data and tell a story superbly well. And I want to make sure that what we produce is as good as or better than what they produce. And really, my mark of success on that is, do they refer to and cite my thought leadership when I pitch the work to them uh, as part of the comms outreach? And Usually, the answer is yes, and that means if they think it's good enough that they're happy to write yep. an article about it, 
that that's a, a measure of success for me. However, you come back to your first point, which is how do we how do we measure this? And I, I, this is very very difficult. And as a brand specialist, the world is split up into outputs and outcomes, and it's so easy to measure everything based on an output. What is my readership? What are the plays on the video? How many mugs are listening to this on uh, a, a podcast? Right? Those are all numbers that to some extent are within our control. Mm -hmm. And they are the outputs. And they're relatively easy. You can basically buy them in. The outcomes is the end result. Mm -hmm. Am I changing what people think about my business? Am I increasing the number of people going into my sales funnel? Am I getting... Oh, and I take a big deep breath as I say this, directly attributable leads yep. from my piece of thought leadership. Those are the outcomes I'm looking for. And, and in this particular part of marketing, it's very, very difficult to connect those outputs to those outcomes. You can do it to some extent. We, we can track some through, but there's no natural. You, you, we have to be crawling all over our salespeople to identify, ah, oh, with that sale and that conversation, did you use our piece of thought leadership to open that door? Have you promoted through social media to get access to, to that person? So we can do it, but it's very laborious. So sadly, having said, I, I look at the outcomes, we have to set ourselves output targets to determine where that success lies. So am I getting the right number of people viewing the page? Am I getting downloads? Am I getting email addresses? What sort of conversion? How long are they spending on, on the page mm. uh, reading the document? Um, and then try to, where I can, join the dots up to, to the outcomes at the other end. Yeah. Well, I, look, I think it was a really nice breakdown because ultimately the, the latter half of your answer is all around the, the effectiveness of thought leadership as a marketing instrument, if you like. But then that, the first part in terms of what you were talking about is really the judge of whether it is thought leadership. I think firstly, you're absolutely right in terms of you shouldn't look at your competition. It's about looking at who you are competing for for a share of attention. And that's why you need to look outside of your commercial competition. But you talk there in terms of the greatest proof point, if you like, of good thought leadership is that they are referencing your material or they are backlinking back. Now, if you get that recognition from people that you respect from your peers, then that means that you're being recognized as a thought leader. So I think that's exactly the right way of looking at things. So to, to bring it back, and I said I wanted to sort of take a slight different side of direction with my questioning. So my final question um, relates to the role of emotion within B2B marketing. Now, we have seen certainly over, I'd say, the past three, four, five years, there's been a greater understanding of the role within of emotion within decision-making within B2B. I think that the historical mis a conception was that we are rational animals when we are doing B2B and we make purely rational, logical decisions. And, you know, with the work of people like Burnett and Field, that has been largely disproved. Now, it's not quite as extreme as consumer in terms of that um, sort of emotional sort of uh, consideration, but it's still very, very, very prominent. And I think that for a lot of people, when we think about thought leadership, that it's got to be very professional, rationally astute, um, editorial type style content. Now, I'm interested from your perspective, how do you make sure that you are getting those emotional triggers? And you spoke about how you want people to be waking up in a cold sweat, you know, having quite that visceral emotional response. Um, how do you make sure that 
as well as being very on point from a topic and technical perspective, you're also speaking to their emotional needs and some of their emotional anxieties as well. Boy, that that's a, a huge question. <laughs> um, it, it will come as no surprise as a B2C marketeer at the beginning, yeah. uh, in my British gas days, understanding emotion and making people make emotional decisions and buy through emotion is, is a very big part of what I did. Ultimately, mm. how do you get someone to decide the difference between an energy provider? It is a price-driven market, but actually, oh, you, you go with the brand you've just got that little bit more trust with. Mm. You've got that, that brand that, well, I know they're here. I, I know they're around. I know they've got customer support, you know, regardless of whether it might be good some days and bad some days. Mm. I, I know it's there and I can trust it. And that is an emotional, yet yeah, rational decision. Yes. And the job of brand is to help bring those and, and put those on the surface. And I, I was doing some training literally just last night uh, for some barristers. I was talking about uh, providing marketing training for barristers. And I said, ultimately, people buy from people because they buy from people they want to spend time with. Yeah. And if you're going to be speaking to a salesperson, you're going to be nurturing a sale through a long sales journey. You want that salesperson to be someone you're comfortable having a conversation with mm. and you're, you're comfortable talking about. So that emotional angle, regardless of, of the brand, it is very important. Now, that's not quite the point that you're asking because you're asking about bringing the, the emotion to the surface through our marketing and our thought leadership. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And it is it can be a fine line to walk. And my feeling is, and it's a statement I say a lot at work, is we mustn't let perfect be the victim of done mm. um, or, or done be the victim of perfect even, or whichever way around I, it is. Um, I understand the sentiment yes, 100%. Quite, quite. Um, and actually talking and, and bring, showing empathy, showing that we understand what our customers are experiencing, showing that we feel the problems that clients have mm. and that we're in it with them, it's just we're there to help them go to the next stage and to take things to the next level and, and really be part of that journey. I think it's a very important emotion to bring out. But it, it is hard. And in the world of B2B marketing and B2B sales, that, that essentially is my job. Right? The, the, the role of the brand is to show that little bit of vulnerability, that little bit of emotion, mm. so that people don't just see it as a cold, hard corporate giant. Yeah. British Gas was owned by the corporate giant of Centrica. Yet British Gas is the emotional brand that people buy from. Mm -hmm. LexisNexis is owned by the corporate giant Relex. You'll never have heard of Relex, but LexisNexis, if you're a lawyer, is the brand that you will mm -hmm. have heard of. So we use the brands to provide emotion and to try and tell that story. But it's, it is difficult and it needs more than thought leadership to bring that emotion to the surface. Absolutely. But I think listening to you, actually, I think it, what I took out of that is that emotion can... Emotional connection, rather, can exist on a number of different levels. Now, there might be some opportunities that the 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 problem or the pain point that you are uncovering um, is so profound that it does cause that cold sweat that we we talked about, and therefore you're you're triggering some sort of emotion just because it's like, oh crap, this is really this is really something I need to care about. But also, it can be more subtle in terms of bringing that emotional connection. Um, that emotional connection can be built by having a very, very clear personality coming through in the way that it's written. So it's not something that's anonymous. It's got yeah. a byline. And also somebody's writing in their natural style rather than in a sort of corporate technocratic yeah. sort of way. 
And I think that the other sort of aspect where I feel that we can layer in that sort of emotional connection, again, relates to the idea of expressing you as people. And that's where you can tell the sort of the people stories mm. within the thought leadership, either by the people that you're interviewing and quoting or profiling within the, the piece or just talking about it in a human experience sort of way. So I think that we, we, we often, and I'm definitely guilty of this, we will run to saying, well, we've got to drive an emotional reaction. How can I get the biggest emotional reaction? And actually, sometimes that subtle approach of creating a people-to-people -people connection can actually yeah. be just as effective within you've used in the right sort of way. Um, which is a nice segue, actually, to the final question that we ask people on B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. Um, and that's when did you last see, whether it was an advert, a piece of communication, you know, anything from sort of marketing or comms, if you like, that you really felt in your guts, that you felt sort of emotionally moved by? Now, that doesn't need to be a B2B campaign, because I think we've still got a way to go, although we are making progress within B2B. But is there anything that stands out, you know, whether from the past couple of months or even the past couple of years, that was something which really got you in the guts? That's a really tough question and i i think i'm probably like a lot of the marketeers who'll be listening yeah. to this nothing really grabs me and i think it's not because there's not good marketing i think it's because i massively overanalyze and i ask what is the insight that this is trying mm -hmm. to fix and who's the who's the customer what's the segmentation but as you were saying that there, there, there was one advert that sort of just burns in my mind probably because i was talking about it in my training yesterday with, um, with with some barristers, and it's an advert. It's quite old, and it's from UNICEF, and it goes along the lines of, "Click this advert if you like, uh, or share this advert, but that won't help us vaccinate children." And it just makes that beautiful point about the difference between an output and an outcome. Mm -hmm. Clicking share, clicking like, great, but ultimately. Is it going to vaccinate children? Will it solve polio? Will it fix HIV crises? Yeah. No, it won't. You've got to give money. And I think that's a, a really powerful statement. It was a beautiful advert that just summarized it perfectly. Uh, obviously, completely slaughtered by me there uh, as I try to recall it. But I think encapsulates everything we've just been talking about. It certainly does. Um, I will say that you probably did overanalyze it. As well. You're correct in your analysis, but that was a marketer deconstructing an advert there. But I think no, it was great. Thank you very much for sharing that. And also thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed this conversation about thought leadership. I think I have a, an inherent bias because of the organization I work for and where we came from, certainly as an agency. But I think thought leadership has become a little bit maligned over the past couple of years. And I think that's really quite unfair. And what I've taken out of this conversation is how thought leadership really can be that strategic marketing activity. It extends beyond just being a content execution, but it can be a program which actually supports marketing activity, sales, outreach. And as we sort of talked about at the end, it doesn't have to be dry. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to just be informative if you think about it in the, in the right way and you introduce that sort of personal nuance, it can be something which is an emotional experience as well as something which is a strong, rational experience. So thank you very much for coming on, Matthew. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Please be marketing the provocative truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. 
And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.